Have you ever thought, I don't know how I would survive if this or that ever happened? Well, here's how. These are the stories of how people just like you and I have gone through difficult life events and survived. It's a journey of faith, hope, and yes, the power of love. Here is the survival guide for the non-survivor. And hi there, this is Greg Fish. Welcome along to the survival guide. This is about surviving things. And of all the guests that I hope to yet speak to, uh, my guest today has a particularly challenging story. As I thought about it, I thought, I'm not sure how I could survive that. And I'm really curious to hear her story today. It's one of uh, a near-death tragedy. And out of the uh, illness that she came down with, her life changing in ways she never could have imagined. So I want to welcome Nancy McKinney along. Nancy, thank you so very much for coming along to the Survival Guide. You're welcome. Thank you. It's good to have you with us. Nancy's coming to us from uh, near Indianapolis, Indiana. And I actually, I, I knew Nancy years ago growing up. So I, I had this weird memory throughout my life uh, of being babysat and my mom picking me up. And I remember the babysitter telling my mom he was an angel. And as a little kid, I was so embarrassed because I didn't want to be an angel. I wanted to be a shepherd because in my mind, boys were shepherds, girls were angels. And I, I told that story on uh, one of my daily blessings and, and you responded back, um, was me. You were the babysitter. Uh, what was I really an angel as yes. a kid? Yes, you were. You were. That's <laughs> it makes me feel better. That's been quite a few years ago. So uh, some really interesting family connections. Uh, Nancy's father was uh, was my pastor back in, in some of my earliest years. I have such great fond memories of of your dad. What a, a an awesome man he was. Yes, he uh, was. But we're gonna uh, want to talk about your story today because uh, one day your life changed in ways that you could not have imagined. Tell me about uh, the day you woke up and things were different. And tell us what happened. It was June 30th of 2019. I got up and couldn't breathe. I got enough air in my lungs to call my husband and asked him to take me to the hospital. And we couldn't get to his truck. He had to call for an ambulance. They asked me where I wanted to go. And I gave them the name of the hospital, which was further away from where I live. There's one not too far from here. And I remember being on the road and feeling the ambulance make a U-turn. And the EMT that was in the back with me said, I'm sorry, but we have to go back. If we don't, you're going to die before we get there. And um, so what are you going to say? You know, <laughs> um, I I nodded my head because I still couldn't talk. I couldn't get enough air in my lungs to be able to speak. And when I got to the hospital, I was alone. They had told my husband to wait um, and not come right away because it would take time for them to get me, you know, registered and do all the things they needed to do. So he didn't come with me. And he had no idea that I had not gone to the hospital where I told them to take me. And um, it took 
quite a while between he and my sister and my aunt to figure out where I was. And um, I remember the nurse asking me for permission to intubate me. And I said yes, and that was the last thing I remember. Now, when you were going through this period of not being able to get your breath, do you recall vividly the thoughts that were going through your mind? I did. Um, I I was scared to death. I thought I was going to die. Um, I thought I was going to die in my living room before I got my husband on the phone. I didn't know where he wow. was. Um, and I was petrified. I really was. Wow. So... Uh, where do you go from there then? You're in the hospital. You, you're you now, how many days did you lose in the process of being out? Um, probably, probably close to a month of being mm. completely out of things. Um, I don't, I don't recall exactly when I woke up. Um, but when I woke up, the respirator was gone and I had a trach in my throat and I still couldn't mm -hmm. talk. Um, mm -hmm. They had put me on, I had a central line going in one carotid artery and I had an ECMO machine going in the other side. An ECMO machine filters your blood for oxygen and puts it back in your body, similar to a dialysis machine, but it filters for impurities. And I was on the ECMO machine long enough that um, my lower legs and my fingers actually died. That machine, although it's saving your life, it focuses only on your core. And so the extremities are not getting any blood flow or oxygen to them. And they, um, they were necrotic and they tried to save them. But so it wasn't the ill, it wasn't the illness, but it was the cure for the illness that actually ended up doing your body the harm that it did. Correct. Correct. Okay. So how long did it take them to realize what was going wrong with you in, in, as they've told this to you? Um, it was about three or four days before they finally realized what was wrong with me. Um, and it was Legionnaire's disease. Um, now, I remember when I was younger hearing about Legionnaire's disease, but I didn't right. even realize that was a thing anymore until how in the world did you get Legionnaire's disease? They don't really know. Um, they went to, to my office and tested the, the air vents because it can be from um, stagnant air coming through the, the return vents, um, but it wasn't there. And the only thing that they, that they finally decided was that it could possibly be from the grocery store because the misters in the vegetable department can have stagnant water in them. And um, the Legionella bacteria is carried in a, it's a spore, and it's carried in a droplet of water, and it gets breathed in. So, so are you aware of anybody else who 
contracted Legionnaire's disease around the time you did? No, I'm not. Um, about a month or so later, there was another case, but nothing right around the same time as when I had it. So you were just the lucky one it chose, it sounds Absolutely. like. It, it found me wow. and I breathed it in. <laughs> Not quite <laughs> oh sure how I, how I managed to do that, but I did. But that's okay so, because there's probably someone else out there that it, you know, it might have happened to that could not have survived what I did. So Legionnaire's disease affects you, affects your respiratory system. Yes, it does. It's um, a very, um, very strong pneumonia. Um, okay. So you, you wake up after a month of, of being, do, do you remember anything, by the way, from your time in the, uh, in the hinterlands of your mind? Do you remember anything from that? No, I don't. Um, I've been told of several things that it, that did happen. Um, but I don't, I don't remember personally the things that they tell me. Um, okay. So at the time you wake up, then you still have all of your limbs and, and fingers and so forth. Yes. But they're black. But they've, Okay. They're black. So what what what's the first thing you remember learning about what was going on with you? Um My sister God love her stayed with me the entire time that I was in the hospital and rehab facilities which ended up being 5 months. Um but I that's a hard question because I don't really, I don't really know. Um, I can't answer that one. So you're, you're dealing with not just being out for a month, but kind of a fog in the months to come then. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, things got better as they went along. Um, I finally was given the little cap that, that they put on the, um, on the trach so you can talk. And um, I had a feeding tube, so I wasn't eating. And mm -hmm. I was begging my sister for a drink of her soda that she had there. And she said, no. So. What what was your emotional state during this time? Um, <laughs> believe it or not, I was okay. Um, I only had one night of being scared. And I woke up in the night and everything was pitch black. I was looking for my sister. I couldn't find her. I was looking for a nurse. There was no one in there. And I had a trach and I couldn't scream. I couldn't talk. I was beating on the side of my bed and no one was coming in the room. I just wanted to see a person. And, um, there was some of the some of the rooms that they had me in that they wouldn't let my sister be in and stay. She had to if she was in the room, she had to stay awake. If she nodded off and they noticed that she was falling asleep, they made her leave and go to a waiting room. Um, mm. So I that particular night, I don't know where she was, but I was just searching for a person. Um, 
and I was scared. And I looked up, I, I laid back in my bed, and I looked up, and my mother was there. My mother's been gone since 2016. And she said, honey, you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be, everything's going to be all right. And I went to sleep and I slept the most peaceful sleep that I'd had in a really long time. And when I woke up, of course, I looked for mom and she's not there. Um, But my sister was there and, you know, everything was fine. It just, I just had that one night of, of being alone and scared. So how quickly after that, after you were awake, did they have to start removing limbs and fingers in order to save your life from the necrosis? Um, they, it actually was a while. They were trying to save them. Um, they had nurses putting salve and powder and cream and bandages, and they sent physical therapy in and tried to get me up to walk. And, you know, anybody that could see my legs and my hands knew that they weren't going to be saved. Um, the skin was falling off and it was just awful. I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't want to upset anyone, but, um, they, they were bad. And I, and I find, would have to think painful as well. Oh, was it, it was pretty so painful? painful. It was so painful. Oh, really? I can't even describe how painful it was. Um, and all the while, you know, I have all of the other doctors and nurses coming in and um, the lung doctor would come in and he was the nicest man. And he kept telling my sister, I had 50-50 at best. And when he finally realized that I was going to pull through, he called her aside and he said, you remember when I told you she had 50-50 and she said yes, and he said, I wasn't telling you the truth. He said she actually had about a 10% chance of surviving. But I did, and I only did because of the grace of God. Wow. It's the only only this, reason. At this point, I'm certain you had quite a community of people praying for you. Uh, how, but how, as far as what you remember— uh, at what point do you remember realizing that you had a, just an absolute choir of prayers going up for you? Um, I was told there was a lot of, and a lot of visitors and um, they would tell me, you know, so-and-so is praying and I put you on our prayer chain at church. And um, I had people praying in other countries, people I didn't, I, I didn't even know. Um, and God listens. He listens. I'm going to ask you a hard question here because I'm just really curious about the answer you have. If God heard the prayers, why did you lose your legs? Um, you know, I think, I think it was a lesson for someone. And I've said this all along. I don't know if the lesson was for me or if it was for someone else that needed to see 
that you can survive and you can go on with a disability. And it was hard. I I can't I can't deny that fact. It was hard knowing that I was going to be a bilateral amputee of both legs and fingers. Um, but it it happens, and I don't know the reason for it other than somebody needed to to hear it. Wow. So the the day and I'm guessing because of the pain, you were probably actually ready at a certain point in time for the amputations to take place just to relieve the pain. Would that be a fair thing to ask? Um, yeah, I was on a lot of pain medication and um, it I was ready. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel as much of the pain because I was I was being medicated. Um, but I remember the, the surgeon coming in and, um, telling me that he was going to be the one to do the amputations and he marked my legs and he marked my hands where he was, um, going to be doing the surgery and they scheduled it and, and I was fully aware, you know, it wasn't like this was a surprise because I couldn't have lived with my legs or my hands the way they were. My legs were worse than my hands um, because the skin was just falling off. And um, So I'm sure you're living with a real dichotomy here because nobody wants to have to go through what you went through. On the other hand, you were ready to move on to the next chapter, even if it meant this uh, this horrific trauma was going right. to take place. right. So did they do it all at the same time? They did. Wow. Yeah. It was quite a lengthy surgery. Um, but I I lost um, all fingers on my right hand except for part of my ring finger. And all of the ones on my left hand were just very short stubs. So I was able to use my left hand, even though I've been right-handed all my life. I'm now trying mm. to, to learn how to be a left-handed person and um, hold a, an eating utensil. And, you know, if I needed to write, how am I going to do that with the pen? How am I going to hold it? Um, but as things happen and you survive the things that happened, you learn how to, how to deal with it and how to survive those things and how to, how to write. It's not pretty, but I can do it. Hmm. So what, tell me about, um, uh, in the, in the aftermath of really beginning to understand how your life had changed. Um, what, you know, it's, it's just, you, you put, uh, let me just say this. You put such a joyous, uh, face on it the way you represent, but I can only imagine the behind the scenes had to be pretty grueling. Uh, what was that struggle like for you with your personality type? What was the struggle of the realization of how your life had changed? What, how did you come through that? Um, I, just my faith is what kept me going. Um, I was alive. They didn't think that I was going to be alive. And I had a story to tell. 
that somebody needed to hear, regardless of whether it's with you or somebody stopping me in the grocery store. Um, it, it just, I don't, I didn't even know how to describe it. Well, I, and I'm glad you said that because that, that's something that I really have in, in the, in the things that I've had to experience in my life, I've kind of decided that if I have to go through this crud, I'm going to learn something so I can help somebody else. Absolutely. And it sounds like that's what got you through it as well. Absolutely. In fact, I was yeah. at the dentist's office on Tuesday and a lady came in um, while I was waiting on the dentist to come in and check the tech's work. And this other um, tech came in that I didn't know. I wasn't familiar with her. And she said, I want to talk about this. And I said, excuse me. <laughs> and she said, I want to talk about this. And she came around and pointed to my legs. Um, so I told her, you know, what I could tell. And it, it turns out that her husband had lost one leg and um, it was either his life or his leg. And he decided to give up the leg um, which was a very wise choice, I think, but um, it, it's 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 hard enough being a single amputee, but being a bilateral amputee of all four limbs um, is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. I use um, I use a wheelchair at home, uh, an electric wheelchair. Um, I can walk. I use I have to use crutches, they're forearm crutches. Um, so I can walk, but I can't walk great distances because I also have some back issues and that prevents me from being able to walk a, a great distance. But um, I do it and you do what you have it, to do. Now, not only do you have the uh, the legs, but I've seen you being fitted for fingers as well. Is that correct? Yes, I lost all of so, my fingers. So how does that work as far as the mechanical fingers? Are, how much control do you have? Uh, do you find that they're really an amazing thing for you? Are you still adjusting? How does that work? Did you say with mechanical fingers? With, with the fingers that you, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, well, I I wondered for a long time why he left this one piece of ring finger on my right hand because everything else was gone. And um, I have since learned that I have that piece of finger so that I can text and type on my phone. Um, nice. The other ones are so short and so fat at the ends that I can't, I can't type with those fingers. Um, so I guess it was a blessing that he left that one finger on. Um the other am I, I right? Do, do you have the mechanical fingers, or is that something that they were are fitting you for? I I do have. It's called the myoelectric hand, um, and it's okay. for the right hand. Um, I have had surgery on my right hand, so it doesn't fit quite as well as it did when I first got it. So I need to go okay. back and have it um, refitted in order to be able to use it. I can make it work, but it's it's not quite as functional as it used to be. Um, and I have what's called naked fingers that were made for my left hand and um, they were not useful at all. So they're tucked away in a drawer. 
Gotcha. So gotcha. I, I deal with my little short fingers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've had surgery what, what has, on both hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what has been the hardest part of this journey? Getting uh, what's been what has been the hardest adjustment for you? Um, losing my fingers was the hardest. If I had to make a choice between my legs and my and my fingers, um, I would choose losing my legs any day over losing my fingers. You don't realize how much you use them for. Um, I can't even scratch an itch anymore. You know, it's, I have to find something that I can use, um, to scratch with it's, and it, it's, it's really sad sometimes. Um, I had never even thought about that. I can see that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So people's reaction then, uh, I'm sure you get all sorts of different reactions, but like the, the lady at the dentist office, um, Mm -hmm. How do people respond, generally speaking, to uh, uh, recognizing the trauma you've been through? Um, you know, it's odd. If I if I wear a pair of long pants to where people can't see my prosthetic legs, um, I there is no grace there at all. Um, they go about their business and they hurry in the store. They don't hold the door, um, nothing. So I have resorted to wearing capris. So they're, they're visible and people can see them. They don't think I'm just, you know, walking on crutches because I can. Um, but I've had a lot of people that have come up to me in parking lots and they'll say, Oh, I really like your legs. Cause they have a design on them. And, um, and then one guy said, but I like mine better. And he pulled up his pant leg and he, he had, uh, Harry Potter on his. So, and, and I didn't realize that he even had a prosthetic leg because he was walking fine and, um, it was covered and you just don't know. You don't know sure. who's fighting and who's who's okay. What would you say to folks uh, in in responding to others who've clearly gone through trauma? What's the most helpful piece of advice that you have learned in this process? Um, I to keep your faith. I've I've never I've never doubted that I had God as my inner strength. Um, but he was, he definitely was. And I, without him and without my faith, I'm not sure if I would have survived, but do you, do you think this has strengthened your faith in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I realized, um, at one point, and I don't remember at what point in my survival this happened, um, but I realized that if I died, I was going to be okay. Either way, I was going to be okay. I'm I'm very strong. I'm strong-willed, and I knew that I could survive whatever happened to me physically. 
but I also knew that if I were to die, that that was okay too, that I would be home with Jesus and all of the people that have gone before me. Mm, wow. <sighs> you uh, talked about your sister, uh, Leah, uh, uh-huh. being there beside you. What was it that, uh, and it, because there's, there's no manual. I found this out in my own experience. There's no manual for how to come along beside somebody who's suffering. Right. What was it she did for you that was uh, the most meaningful, the most important thing as you look back, say, that was really important. She was my voice. I didn't have a voice. Um, you know, if, if mm-hmm. she didn't think I was being kept clean enough, she went straight to the head of the nurse nurse's department and um, told them they needed to send somebody in to clean me up because they didn't do a good enough job. Um, when it came time, you know, when when the feeding tube was out and the trach was out and I was beginning to be able to eat, I had asked for, and I remember this specifically, <laughs> I had asked for a grilled cheese sandwich. Now, you're from Indiana, so I know that you know what a grilled cheese mm-hmm. sandwich is. You butter both yes, sides ma'am. of your bread, you put mm-hmm. the cheese in the middle, and you toast it on both sides on the on the stove. Mm-hmm. I got two pieces of toast with a little bit of butter spread on the inside and cold cheese put in the middle. That was my grilled cheese sandwich. That may be the biggest tragedy of all. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you know, it didn't take long for her to take that sandwich and go (laughs) go find somebody to complain to. And um, it was actually the head of the the entire unit that I was I was in a rehab facility or nursing home. And um, he came down to apologize. And I said, but really, would you have eaten a, a grilled cheese sandwich like that? We're in Indiana. We know what grilled cheese sandwiches are. And he said, absolutely not. So he (laughs) he took it back and got me a real grilled cheese sandwich. So she was my voice when I didn't have one. And that that made all of the difference in the world. What I remember about your sister, she's a very strong person. And I'm guessing she was probably a very good advocate to have on your side during this situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Although, I, if I remember your family correctly, I think you're you're all a pretty strong stock of people, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we all have been. Um, all of us kids were brought up to be that way, and um, mom and dad were both very strong people. Mm-hmm. Now, along the way, I'm sure you've met other people now who've gone through tragedy, some similar, not some not so much from varying backgrounds, maybe not as strong, maybe not the faith background. Uh, what has been the most meaningful thing for you in interacting with others and helping them to survive their tragedy? Um, I think just being able to tell them how I survived and that um, God was at the head of my table and you know, regardless of whether I went to see him or if I stayed and had to learn how to walk on prosthetic legs and learn how to eat with no fingers, um, 
it was okay. And um, I think that was, that's been the, the best, the best thing for yeah. me to be able to explain to someone um, my faith. And again, that thread that I, I'm hearing come through, and it's something that I relate to so strongly, that that the story, the story, the story is so important. Sharing the story, helping right. others to be a part of your story, uh, tell your story. Right. Absolutely. I actually had um, a, a lady that I used to work with had been reading a story in our local newspaper about a uh, a couple, a young boy that um, was losing his life to cancer and um, his girlfriend, and they ended up getting married very young so that they could be married. Um, and she contacted that reporter. She's actually a sports reporter, but she emailed her and she said, I think I have somebody that you might be interested in talking to. And she told her a little bit about what had happened to me. And she said, absolutely. When can I go see her? Um, and she came here and wrote up, she interviewed me and had her photographer here. They took pictures. Um, the next day she actually went to the place that I was going for physical therapy and occupational therapy and took pictures there as well and talked to both therapists um, and it was on the front page of the Indianapolis Star. And oh not only was it on on the front page of the Star, it was also in um, USA Today. And I had two people, one from Kentucky that called me. She had seen the story in, in the USA Today. Um, and she... When she called, she left a message and she said, I just want to pick your brain a little bit because I've been through a similar situation. The other one, um, I don't recall where she was living, Oklahoma, I believe. Um, but she sent me a card and just said, you've been through it and I'm proud of you. I saw, um, I saw a story that mentioned uh, someone from Indianapolis, and that's where I'm from. So I had to pick up the paper and read it. So, um, you know, I don't know how many more people were touched by that or, you know, read it. I have no idea. But I do know that those two people reached out, and maybe one of them was the one that needed to hear it. I don't know. <laughs> So Nancy, what's ahead for you? What what are you looking forward to? Um, actually, I've retired, so I can do pretty much whatever I want. <laughs> I can't work in my garden anymore, so I I sit mm -hmm. outside and watch my husband and tell him where to plant the plants and you know do all the things. Um, I'm hoping. Wow. Be, I, I mentioned earlier, I have some back issues and I'm hoping to get those resolved so that maybe I can at one point in my life walk without the crutches. I'm hoping so. Wow. Um, wow. Prayers for that. Do, do you feel like uh, you're out of the woods now health wise or do you still have some health challenges you have to keep an eye on? I do not. My lungs are clear. I don't have any 
signs that I even had pneumonia, um, especially a pneumonia that was so bad that it almost took my life. Um, there's absolutely no signs whatsoever. I've had no surgeries on my legs. They, they're the way they were when I left the hospital. I've had three surgeries on my hands, um, revision surgeries, and mm -hmm. um, I'm hoping that's the end of them. Um, sure. But I, you, do you know, do you... I just enjoy being outside, so... You you uh, had no problem accept, accepting my offer to come and speak to our, our audience here, and I appreciate that. Do you have any opportunity to uh, talk to groups of people to share your story? I have not. Um, I'm not one for public speaking. I never, okay. <laughs> I never have been, and I got that from my mother, God lover. Um, mm -hmm. But I. I I don't know. I might at some point I might be able to. I don't know. This is different talking to you on a podcast. Um, sure. And, and you have quite a story you tell even through uh, through interaction on social media as as well. And right. I I, that's where I really came to learn because I, I didn't realize at first once we had uh, reconnected through social media, um, I thought, oh, it might be fun to uh, – connect with, with uh, this person or that person. When I connected with you, I had no idea what your story was. And as it began to unfold in my mind, I'm like, oh, wow, this is just an, an incredible survival story. Yeah. And I so appreciate you sharing that with us today. And uh, uh, my prayers are with you that your faith will continue to sustain you and others out there and that your story will make a difference for others. Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. Nancy, thank you. Thank you so very much. And I hope that once again, I've been an angel. You um, were an angel. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Folks, thank you so very much for coming along to the survival guide for the non-survivor. I hope that you've uh, found something today that can help you in your story. I want to invite you to check out our other podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Be sure and like and share us. And if you're watching on YouTube, we would love it if you would subscribe. Those things help as well. You can learn more about uh, Corbin Cast and Survival Guide at CorbinFosterMedia.com. Uh, you can find out some more about the books I've written there, including I Will Walk With You, which talks a lot about the tragedy I've been through in, in my life. And uh, my book, Be Patient, Take Courage, Don't Grumble, and I have a new one coming out. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't know when you'll be listening to this. It could already be out called Because I'm Richard's Son, showing... Uh, how my dad influenced my uh, uh, survival ability, I guess you would say. Survival Guide for the Non-Survivor is a Corbin Cast presentation. I'm Greg Fish, and thank you for listening.